Amen. Isn't the Lord good? He's given us a story and a song and countless reasons uh, to praise Him together. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, find Genesis chapter 26. We've been working our way verse by verse, chapter by chapter, section by section through the book of Genesis, and we find ourselves this week in Genesis chapter 26. We'll begin reading in verse 1 and read through verse 33. This is the word of God. Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. And when the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister. For he feared to say, My wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of the window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of the flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are too or much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham, and he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley, he found there a well of spring water. The herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, This water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. 
So he called the name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called the name Rehoboth. For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pinched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, his advisor, and Fickle, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you. Then you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have decided to you nothing and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose and exchanged oaths and Isaac sent them on their way. They departed from him in peace. That same day, Isaac's servant came and told him about the well that they had dug and said, We have found water. He called it Sheba. Therefore, the city is Beersheba to this day. This is the word of God. So as we read Genesis 26 together, if you've been with us over the last several weeks, you likely experienced some deja vu. Deja vu is the French term for that feeling you have that you lived through a present situation before. It literally translates out as already seen. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever walked into a new place and just had that eerie feeling? I have been here and done this before. Have you ever had a conversation and just had that feeling like, I've talked about this before, parents? Right? Have any of you ever felt like you're having the same conversation over and over and over again? Genesis 26 should produce in us some sense of deja vu because much of this chapter repeats the big events in the life of Abraham, except now we're in the life of Isaac. While Genesis devotes from chapter 12 to chapter 25, all about Abraham, which we had looked at together. We got introduced to Isaac. He was born in chapter 21, and we saw some things about him in 22. He got married in chapter 24, and now we're going to get a quick overview of his life in this chapter. In the next chapter, we're going to see that Isaac will be near death, and then the story will focus in on his son Jacob up through chapter 36, before closing with the attention on a guy named Joseph. So in other words, Isaac doesn't get very much attention in the book of Genesis. He's not given a lot of attention. Most of what we learn about Isaac is found in this chapter, and what we see is that Isaac's life was a lot like his dad's, like father, like son. If you've ever heard that expression, it is true in the life of Abraham, like father, like son. In fact, we get three accounts that display three similarities between Abraham and Isaac. We see, if you have your notes with you first, we see that Isaac received the same promise. 
Isaac received the same promise. Look at the opening of this chapter again, the first five verses. Now, there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring... All the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my, my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now, as you read that, I kind of feel bad for Isaac a little bit. Because even as we're told that the promises are going to continue through him, Abraham's shadow looms large. He just can't get away from it. Isaac's in this famine, and we said, well, it's not like the one his dad experienced. And then we see all of these promises, and over and over again, it talks about Abraham throughout these promises. And then we see the point of this, that just like Abraham, Isaac was promised land, seed, and blessing. That just like Abraham, Isaac was promised land, seed, and blessing. That his offspring will be like the stars in the heavens, and they'll inherit the land of the Philistines, and all of it's going to be because of Abraham. It's all going to be because of his father. Even in the midst of Isaac's moment, his father is mentioned at the beginning, the middle, and the end of the section. These promises are simply echoes and restatements of the promises spoken earlier to Abraham. Let's just look briefly at some of what God promised Isaac's father. Look back in Genesis chapter 12, God called Abraham to leave the land that he was living in. And look what he says, Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God promised to bless Abraham, and he said, leave from where you are, and I'm going to be with you on the journey to the place I will show you. And then God echoed this again in Genesis 15, 1, when God said to Abraham, who at the time was named Abram, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. God would bless him and say, hey, I'm going to be your shield, your protector, your reward. In the words of Genesis 17, the Lord would be his God. And the same promise is spoken to Abraham on the day he was preparing to sacrifice Isaac. And here's what it said. Genesis 22, 17 to 18 says this. I will surely bless you and surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all... The nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. 
We've seen this. All of these promises are then echoed here to Isaac again with one exception. Look again, chapter 26, verse 2. Look what we see. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. God told Abraham to go to the place that God would show him, but here he's calling Isaac to stay. And he says, Isaac, stay out of Egypt. You know how that went for Abraham, constantly going into Egypt and messing things up rather than going to where God told him to go. But God would also not just reinstate the promise of his presence and of blessing, but he also, again, reinstated this promise of land and offspring. Verse 4 and 5 again. For to you, Isaac, and to your offspring, I'll give all these lands. And I'll establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I'll multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Look down at verse 23. After Isaac departs to Beersheba, and we see this. And the Lord appeared to him that same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. So just like Abraham, God promised to be with Isaac, to give him land and seed and blessing. And this should have encouraged him not to fear Abimelech the king, but rather to respond in faith and worship. Because ultimately, the blessing... Sorry, I was having some tech issues. There we go. Ultimately, the blessing of Abraham would be upon all the nations. In this room, we are recipients of this promise. Few of us are probably the physical descendants of Abraham, and few of us have ever stepped foot in the promised land, and yet these promises to Abraham and Isaac are ultimately ours. Look what Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14 says. Look at this. That Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it's written, cursed is everyone who is hung on the tree. Here it is. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, the nations, us, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Through faith in Jesus, we receive the promises of Abraham. We're called the children of Abraham, and in Romans 4.13, it says that we are heirs of the world and receive the same blessing of a right relationship with God. God even comes to be with us through the Holy Spirit. Here's the point. Ultimately, Genesis 26 isn't simply full of promises some ancient believer could claim. They are promises we can claim. God is promising this to us, God has, has a land and seed and blessing ultimately to give to his people. Doesn't Jesus teach that the meek will inherit the earth? And that the seed he promises here isn't necessarily physical offspring or physical descendants, but that people will be reborn into the family of God through 
the gospel. Friends, these promises are ultimately ours. Like father, like son, Isaac received the same promise. But Genesis 26 also shows us that Isaac told the same lie. He isn't simply the recipient of the same promise, but Isaac tried some of the same tactics his dad did, didn't he? Look at verse 6. So Isaac settled in Gerar when the men of the place asked him about his wife, and he said, She is my sister, for he feared to say, My wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. Now, Isaac was before a guy named Abimelech, who's a pagan king, and Abraham had a run-in with him, right, back in chapter 20. And it's really unsure whether this is the same Abimelech. Maybe this is Abimelech's son. You know, this is sort of a family name. He's an Abimelech junior of some sort. Or, or maybe this is a title that they gave the kings of this day. We're not fully sure, but regardless, the parallel here is clear that just like Abraham came before this king, Isaac is going to come before him and go, hey, my wife, she's actually my sister, And I'll say this again, men, this is not a good idea when you get in trouble. Don't, this isn't an example to follow. Now, this is even more uh, difficult for Isaac because at least with Abraham, there was a little bit of truth in some of what he was saying. She was a near relative to him. That isn't quite the case here with Isaac at all. Rather than trusting the promises of God for protection, he gives his wife into the hands of a king. God promises him offspring, and then he gives the one person essential to make that promise happen and gives her away to this enemy king in the midst of this conflict. And it's clear, he says, I'm doing it to save my own skin. (laughs) Lest they come and kill me, he's like, okay, babe, you handle it. Again, not very good husbanding, right? Look at verse 8. Now, when he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. Now, notice, Isaac let his wife stay there, it says, a long time, We don't know how long that is, but remember, Genesis counts time a little differently than we do. I mean, Abraham lived to be a hundred-something years old, and it says that he let her stay there a long time. (laughs) He let this fester and sit, and likely both of them had to begin to tell additional lies in order to cover up for the additional, for the original lie. That's always how it goes, but... Abimelech begins to catch on. He looks out a window, and he sees something unusual. Isaac, if you remember, it says he's laughing with his wife. And if you remember, Isaac's name is actually a form of the word laughing. That's what Isaac's name means. And so if you were to look at this in the original language, it would literally say that Isaac was Isaacing with her, that laughter was laughing with her, and that this term suggests more than a response to a funny punchline. There is a sort of intimate activity that only a husband and wife could enjoy rather than a brother and sister. There's a way that a brother and sister joke and laugh together 
that's one thing, but then there's a way a husband and wife joke and laugh together. That's another thing. And I think the married people in the room can get around some of those things and understand that. But Abimelech sees this and goes, hey, something, something's not right. They're obviously not brother and sister because of this. Then look what happens, verse 9. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, she's your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Abimelech said to him, because I thought lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. I think the irony is incredible here. So Isaac deceived in order to achieve protection, but Isaac gets protection by letting the truth come out. You see that? Isaac deceived because he wanted to be protected, but now he lets the truth out and he actually gets protection. He actually gets what he could have had. God was going to take care of him. God didn't need Isaac's scheming. Isaac didn't need to fear Abimelech or to trust in his own wisdom. He simply needed to believe in God's promise to him and walk forward in faith. And friends, how, how, how many of us is that true for? That we don't need to be like Isaac trying to scheme and trust our own wisdom and think, well, I need to get God out of the situation he got me into. No, he just needed to trust God in the midst of it, and God was going to take care of him and keep his word to him. In fact, God goes on to bless Isaac a hundredfold. He gets so blessed that Abimelech and the kingdom tell him to leave. Look at verse 12. And Abimelech sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. Imagine if what you made this year got multiplied, or got multiplied by a hundred, right? I mean, guy's doing, guy's doing pretty well, right? The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now, the Philistines had stopped and filled earth with all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Here, he's so blessed of the Lord that they're like, we just can't take it. Get out of here. And Abraham experienced a similar thing, didn't he? Back in Genesis chapter 13, Abraham was so blessed. He and his his nephew Lot had to separate because they just couldn't fit all their stuff on the same property. Isaac really is like his dad in more ways than one. He was blessed of the Lord, but he also was a man who didn't trust God perfectly. He's remembered as a man of faith, but friends, he was not a man without sin. Rather, Isaac and Abraham, and honestly, all the people in the Bible minus one, are just like you. Imperfect people with imperfect faith in a perfect God. Isaac should have trusted the promise, and rather than living in fear of Abimelech, he should have feared the Lord of glory. 
He could have clinged to the promises that God had spoken. Consider Psalm 37. I think it's almost a, a commentary on this passage. Look what David, through the Holy Spirit, writes. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act He'll bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Friends, he could have simply trusted that God, if he'd committed himself, his way to the Lord and trusted him that God was going to act. He could have trusted that promise and found God's protection and life, but he didn't. So I think we should bring this home to us. Friends, what about your faith? What is your faith in? I think many of us misunderstand faith because we make the emphasis on the strength of our own faith. Well, he's a man who has a lot of faith, but The key with faith isn't so much the strength of it, but rather the strength of the one whom your faith is in. It isn't ultimately the strength of your own faith that saves you. It's the strength of the one your faith is in. Some of us may find ourselves like Isaac. We're putting everything on the line. We're we're pushing in all the chips of everything God provided and promised for us, and we're blowing it big time. But God is also a forgiving God. The one who who called Isaac and the one who spoke words of promise and ultimately protected him from these pagan kingdoms could also make provision for his sin, could forgive him and restore him. Friends, God is even able to raise the dead, and Isaac, of all people, should have known that. If you remember, just a few chapters before, wasn't he as good as dead when Abraham was offering him up, and yet in the last moments he provided a lamb, and Isaac figuratively came back from certain death? Friends, God could provide a lamb for Isaac, and God has provided a lamb for us. That Jesus Christ has lived a perfect life. He's died on the cross and he rose again on the third day to forgive sinners, even the worst of the worst. Paul says, he, has, he had mercy on me, the chief of sinners. The quarterback of team sin, he could forgive and offer adoption into God's family and offer eternal life. And he can do the same for you. Like father, like son, Isaac received the same promise. He told the same lie. And finally, I want us to see that Isaac encountered the same conflict. Isaac encountered the same conflict. The majority of this chapter is devoted to an encounter between Isaac and the people of Gerar, the Philistines, over over these wells that were dug. And remember, we're in the midst of a famine, 
And so wells are a pretty big deal when you don't have water, you don't have sinks. They couldn't just go to the fridge and get a bottled water out. These wells were it. In the midst of this famine, they had destroyed all the wells that Abraham had built. And so Isaac begins to rebuild them. Look at verse 17. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the name that his father had given them. So the Philistines, again, like I said, had covered these wells. They wanted to, I think, get rid of any mention of Abraham in in, in their world. They didn't want any mention of him. This was almost like cancel culture about 4,000 years ago. We don't like Abraham, so we're going to destroy everything he built, even useful stuff, like a well. We're going to get rid of even the useful stuff he did. But Isaac goes back to rebuild the wells, and he renames them, and then after rebuilding what they destroyed, the Philistines went in on it. <laughs> Isn't that how people often are? They destroy it. Someone else rebuilds it. Now they're like, hey, that's a really good idea. Let's get get in on this. Look at verse 19. But when Isaac's servants dug in the well and found there a water, a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, the water is ours. So we called the name of the well Esek. That means contention because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna, which means enmity or hatred. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, which means broad places or rooms. And here's what he said, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. So there's all this conflict over these wells, and there's finally some peace. The, the Philistines begin to realize, whether out of necessity or for some other reason, that they need to make room for him. They're in a famine. They're getting thirsty. They need some water. They need this. And the people, they're not just in a famine. They're also dwelling in a desert, <laughs> And so they were going to do anything they needed. Even if they had to give Isaac some credit and some room here, they wanted something to drink. And so Abimelech comes to Isaac with a proposition. Look at verse 26. When Abimelech went to him and he brought with him his advisor and the commander of his army, and they want to make a deal. Verse 27. Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have not done to you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. What a change of tune. They sent him away. But now they're like, well, let's, let's make a deal. You got all this water. I got a lot of thirsty people. Let's, let's make this work out, right? So they make a covenant, which is just a, a sort of ancient peace treaty between these people. And here's what they do. Verse 30. 
So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths. And Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, We have found water. He called it Sheba, which means oath. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. And so Isaac makes a covenant with them. And this isn't the first time that one of God's people have made a treaty with Abimelech. You can go back and look in in Genesis chapter 21, right after the birth of Isaac, Abraham actually did the same thing with Abimelech. And we see the promise of Genesis 12, 3 unfolding. It was God's people who were blessing the nations. Isaac and his servants were blessing the nations with the water of life. He promised that Abraham, you and your offspring are going to be a blessing to the nations. And look what's happening. The nations are willing to do anything to get them a drink that the people of God have. And this points forward, friends, to the good news of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus would one day meet a Samaritan woman at the well. The well of Isaac's son, Jacob. And what would he say at this well? Here's what he'd say. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of life welling up to eternal life. And Jesus comes to offer water, spiritual water, eternal life, not simply to the children of Isaac, but to the world, to the nations, to whosoever would call upon him. In a world of spiritual famine, there is a well of hope and eternal life that is sprung up. And will we drink of the waters of life? Hear the invitation from the Apostle John in the book of Revelation. Here's what he says The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who desires to take of the water of life without price. That God has made a a spring of living water of eternal life, of satisfaction in relationship with God available without price. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to earn it because, friends, another has paid for it in your place. Will you, by faith, drink of the waters of life? Because Jesus has come and died and risen again that we might taste of spiritual life that will forever satisfy. Friends, the waters of wells will eventually, you'll you'll eventually need another drink. But he says, friends, when you drink of the water of life, your soul will be satisfied forever Because it's restored to the one you were made to know and made to be in relationship with. Finally, I want us to notice an interesting connection that was here. They sealed their covenant by celebrating a meal. I want you to see that. They sealed their covenant by celebrating a meal. And this is why, friends, Jesus left his church, his followers, his people, a meal to observe. 
And it's a meal that calls us to remember a new covenant made in his blood. A supper of bread and a cup of the vine. Bread, which he says is his body and reminds us of our unity as one body. And a cup poured out for us a reminder and declaration that Jesus has paid it all. And that this is ultimately a meal meant for those in covenant with God. It's a meal meant to to symbolize a peace treaty that has been purchased between Jesus and us. And also it's meant to symbolize our peace with one another as believers. And so Paul warns that if you're not at peace with God or you're not at peace with someone else in this room, that he would say just to set the cup in your seat and use this time instead of partaking to reflect to repent and to get right with God or, or with others. And so I would, I would say if you aren't sure of your right standing with God, you can just leave the cup in your seat and use this time to listen because this meal, this supper is a physical declaration, an objective physical thing you can touch that is meant to tell you of the core message of God's word, that his body was broken and his blood was shed For you, that Jesus has come and he has died and he's risen again. It is the gospel in picture form. And in this meal is an invitation to you to come to Jesus and to taste of his spiritual life, to come to Jesus by faith and to be restored into right relationship with God in. The supper, for those who have trusted in Jesus, it is both a message to observe and a meal to consume. And so, in these next few moments, I want us to take time to prepare ourselves and to reflect together. To reflect together and to ultimately respond as Isaac did. Isaac heard the promise, and what did he do? He built an altar and he worshipped God. And 1 Corinthians 11, which tells us all about the Lord's Supper, says that we're to wait for one another. Not to rush ahead and go ahead and, and, and I eat and then you eat and we wait. No, he says that we are to take this together, to wait for one another. And so we're going to prepare in just a moment to just sing and to reflect a little bit on God's goodness and kindness to us. And then after we reflect, we're ta- we will take the bread and the drink of this cup together as God's family, and consider all of God's goodness and promises to us. So let's pray together. Father God, you are good. Thank you for your goodness and your kindness to us. Thank you for the love that you have for us and your son, Jesus, that he has come and his body was broken And his blood was spilled so that we could be put into right relationship with God. That's what this supper is all about. And I pray that we, like Isaac, with our imperfect faith, will find in you the perfect, sufficient Savior. The one who is fully able to save. The one who is fully 
sufficient to save us from our sins. And if you could show such mercy to the chief of sinners like Paul or to me or to Isaac, then you can save anyone and forgive them and display mercy to them. So I ask that in these moments as we reflect and prepare to take the supper together, that you would do a work in our hearts, that you would unite us as your people as we do this, and that we would ultimately not be so focused on bread and juice, but focus on the one who it's meant to point us to, to your son and to your goodness and kindness to us. And we ask and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's just sing together the first verse of Blessed Assurance in two choruses, please. Jesus, we are your children. And we thank you, Father God, for just your son, that we have the assurance of of eternal salvation through him, through the blood that he shed for us. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. We just have to receive it in faith. And we just thank you for that. We all have a story. And we all have a song, but Jesus is our strength, and he is our song. I just want to sing that together as a family. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. And this is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. And this is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. One more time. This is my story. And this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. And this is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. First Corinthians 11 tells us, gives us instructions on this Lord's Supper. And here's what it tells us in First Corinthians 11 verse 23. For I received from the Lord, but also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance 
of me. So we take the bread and we take it together in remembrance of him. And in the same manner, we're told, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And we take the cup together. And then we're told, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. That in the Lord's Supper and what we just did, we get a second sermon. A sermon in picture form, a proclamation that Jesus has come and he has died and he has risen again. So that we might be restored and set right to God. That all of the promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob have found their yes and their amen. And so I enjoyed, it's wonderful to take the Lord's Supper together and to begin to hopefully take it more often as we reflect together and do what Jesus has commanded us to do. And so we close our service with a benediction, a blessing from God's word, this from 2 Corinthians thirteen fourteen: The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.